So I was very, very lucky to get uh, to get injured. So I couldn't play small school college basketball. And then to run into Jim Leon one night uh, at, at a Withrow game where he came to scout. And I was just a lost dude there at the game by myself watching Withrow play Dayton Dunbar. Uh, and they were playing home games back then at Walnut Hills. And uh, ran into Jimmy and he said, man, what are you doing? I said, he said you got a coach. I'm, I said, I don't know, I don't know. Next thing, you know, he talked me into it and the rest is history. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast with your host, Kyle Decker, and myself, Calvin Blackman. Before we get to tonight's episode, do us a favor and check out our new website, www.theunderdogpodcast.com, and be sure to sign up for our weekly Underdog Newsletter. Now, on to this week's episode with none other than current UCLA head men's basketball coach and former University of Cincinnati head coach Mick Cronin. Let's just say Coach Cronin has come a long way from not knowing how to use a VCR to now nine straight NCAA tournament appearances. This is such a great one with Coach Mick Cronin. All right, Coach, welcome to the Underdog Podcast, man. Appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule. As I know the season's going to ramp up here soon, but uh, appreciate you uh, taking time to join us, man. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Rather be seen than not. That's that's uh, one, one of Coach Huggins' old lines that I remember. Rather be seen than not. Love it. I love it. It's better to be in L.A. than here in Cincinnati. Right now it's like 45 and rainy, so doom and gloom. Uh, yeah, I don't want to. I, you know, I don't want to brag, but it'll be, eight, eight, you know, 80 and sunny for the next five months here. <laughs> oh, shoot. Man. Yeah, he made a good decision. He did. He did. <laughs> one of his quotes, I'll read at the end, he talked about, you mean go out to Southern California and coach basketball? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Make it happen. Um, well, let's get into it, man. With this being the underdog, I say this every episode, uh, we like to kind of highlight, you know, adverse moments that people have had in their life. And we want to go back way back um, to your days at, um, at Woodward high school here in Cincinnati. And just take us back to, you know, that experience at Woodward and how it attributed to your start, um, you know, as a coach and, and, and kind of how that climb really began. Well, I would tell you, you, you know, um, it was a few years ago, but I, <laughs> you know, when I started coaching there at 19, but I will tell you, man, we had a, just an unbelievable time. It just shows you, um, you, you know, that the climb and the chase uh, can just be just as much fun uh, as the result. You know, the, the relationships with the players, um, you know, the late Dennis Bettis, uh, legendary uh, assistant coach at Woodward and um, just a local great guy uh, passed away last year and Jim Leon my mentor that gave me the chance at Woodward High School because uh, I was a lost soul when I destroyed my knee and didn't know what you know I, I, I didn't know what I uh, what I was going to do you know I knew I wanted to try to make some money um, but I was fighting the urge to coach because uh, I thought I, you know I didn't think there was any money in it and, uh, uh, but from the day Jim brought me into Woodward, I felt like I was home, you know, for me, um, you know, I love basketball so much 
even as a player at LaSalle, you know, I've played with a lot of guys that were three sport athletes. Um, you know, Jim Ravenna was a great football player. Mike Bernwanger uh, went to uh, full ride for track and football, Miami of Ohio. Uh, uh, Ernie Petrie, Miami of Ohio, great shortstop. Um, you know, and I was the guy that was literally ate up about basketball um, from a competitive standpoint and my love for the game. And when I got to Woodward, it was I was around people for the first time in my life that really loved the game as much as I did. Um, and it was just uh, it, it was it was just like, you know, I was home for day one when, when, when I got there around the kids. Um, you know, my man, Damon Flint, uh, and I can name all the guys that I coached there, uh, you know, over a five year period. Um, but it was just a special time in my life. So I was very, very lucky to get uh, to get injured. So I couldn't play small school college basketball. And then to run into Jim Leon one night uh, at, at a Withrow game where he came to scout. And I was just a lost dude there at the game by myself watching Withrow play Dayton Dunbar. Uh, and they were playing home games back then at Walnut Hills and uh, ran into Jimmy. And he said, man, what are you doing? I said, he said you got a coach. I'm, I said, I don't know. I don't know. Next thing you know, he talked me into it. And the rest is history. Wow. And then you go from Woodward, right, then to being uh, on uh, Coach Huggins' staff, right, starting from the bottom of that staff in the video room, to my understanding. Let me ask a quick question there before you do that, to your point. Like, when you do that, make that jump, can you also, when you answer this question, like, when did it hit you that this isn't high school anymore, that, that you know, you're at that next level of, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a lot in between that, you know, that Jim Leon helped me with uh, and, and Larry Miller, the previous coach at Woodward. They they helped me get into camps. Damon Flint being a great player, him and Eric Johnson. We also took Bobby Brandon. I hung out out. That's why I fell in love with L.A. I hung out with them dudes for two weeks out here. I brought them to camp. Uh, the great Sonny Vaccaro brought us the camp, the ABCD camp. We stayed out here. They, can you believe this? They said, "Hey, we well, got you guys want to stay an extra week and go to this other camp out here." And Jimmy had to go back, and there I am. I'm in charge of the guys. I'm like 20, 21. Damon and Bobby and Eric are like 18, 17. We're running around LA. Uh, you know, it was a fun time, man. We, 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 I think we ran about five in a row down at Venice Beach. We picked up one other guy, and we were tough to beat down there. You know, back then, those guys were really good, and I was still young, so I knew how to get them the ball. <laughs> those were my times. You know, So I got, you know, the, my path to Coach Huggins' staff really was in summer camps, working uh, at Five Star for the great Howard Garfinkel. Uh, again, you know, got in through being able to coach talented guys at Woodward. So uh, that's, how, that's why Coach Huggins wanted to bring me on the staff because, guys, look, man, my first day on the job, I didn't know how to use a VCR. I mean, that's a true story. You know, I, I had to go across the hall to the football office. And I think Mike Tomlin was a GA, uh, Coach Harbaugh with the Ravens. They were, I think they were both on the staff and maybe Rex Ryan. I'm looking like, hey, man, wow. you, guys have, you guys have a video guy? Uh, and I met John Whittakin, who's been at Cincinnati ever since. And uh, he helped me order the video stuff, helped me hook it all up with a guy named Bill Friggy, who runs the whole facility there. And they took care of me because I literally could not plug in the VCR. Then they had to teach me how to work it. You know, so, 
So yeah, that that but Coach Huggins hired me because my connections that I had developed in the summer uh, on the recruiting scene. So while my college buddies were, uh, you know, living it up, uh, you know, people talk about spring break. It must have been a hell of a time because, but I wouldn't know because my spring break was in an AAU tournament, sitting in a gym somewhere, watching games all day. That was that was my life from like 19 to 24 years old to get my chance with Coach Huggins, but. To answer your question, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you realize real quick, you know, it's 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 a different animal uh, when you go from high school to college, uh, just the, the level of guy you're coaching. But, you know, for me, nothing changes. You know, if you put the player first and you're trying to help them grow as a person, you're just dealing with them at a different time in their life versus high school to college. You know, at Woodward, Jimmy and I were just trying to make sure some of our kids could get home at night and they had something to eat. Uh, you know, versus, you know, then at UC, you're trying to help guys navigate the pressures that they're under trying to make it, um, you know, whether it was Danny Forson or like, you know, Bobby Brandon, Damon Flint, those kind of guys. I was a young guy. So, you know, I, I was more of a friend to those kind of guys in my younger years, just trying to help them. Uh, I was learning how to be a college coach and, and trying to, you know, learn, learn as much as I could because I was really young at that time in my career. So you, uh, you, as you just mentioned, you, you know, you were the video guy and then you go on to become, you know, one of Coach Huggins, you know, first assistants and everything. Um, when were you able to really differentiate yourself to say, you know what, I'm going to be a guy that can go out and become a head coach? Um, and I know that's not something that you really, that really just happens overnight, but a lot of guys, you know, there's thousands of guys who want that opportunity, but you have to be able to do something to differentiate yourself and set yourself apart. When would you say that happened for yourself? Oh, I, I, in my fifth year with Coach Huggins, you know, I started to realize, you know, have I learned all I can here? Um, you know, I had been offered some other jobs, more money, uh, a lot more money, but stayed at Cincinnati my third and fourth year. Then the fifth year came, and, uh, you know, when the opportunity came to go with Rick Pitino, it was controversial at the time, uh, and, I just felt I needed to leave Cincinnati, uh, you know, having never been out of my hometown, I was getting near 30 years old. And if I want to be a college coach, you know, I can say that I worked under Bob Huggins, uh, who's going to be in the hall of fame shortly. And Rick Pitino, who was going to be in the hall of fame, uh, and grow up, you know, just, you got to grow up, man. You got to get away from home. And, and I really believed in that, you know, it was time for me to, uh, to, to get out of my comfort zone because coach Huggins was so good to me and we had been together. We knew each other, my whole high school coaching time at Woodward. So I was really close to him for 10 years. And, um, you know, I knew coach Patino didn't know me. So I was going to have to re reestablish myself and take my work ethic to another level. And I would be able to learn from somebody that just does it differently. So that was, that was my point where I decided, you know, I said, look, I told my dad, it's the only guy I discussed it with. And uh, it was, it was a tough decision because coach, you know, coach Huggins gave me everything, you know, if it wasn't for him, I'd, you know, we wouldn't be on this call, but I said, you know, my thing with my dad was, look, if I don't do this, if I don't take this opportunity, I almost feel like a coward, right. You know, like I know I need to grow up. I need, you know, I need to get out of Cincinnati and I got a chance to go with Rick Pitino who's legendary at working as assistants, unbelievably hard. And it's all true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you know, it's almost like, you know, if I'm, uh, if I run from this, you, you know, I really don't want to be a head coach to answer your question. You know, if I really want to be a head coach, I knew it was going to damage my relationship uh, at least temporarily with coach Huggins, which hurt me the most, but I knew it was the right thing for my career. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you think about, we talk about knowledge nuggets and transferable moments. And this is one, I think with coach Cronin getting out of the comfort zone, mm -hmm. right. Taking risk and then being able to uh, be uncomfortable as well, which is obviously fall line with the, the outside the comfort zone, but that's, that's a big move. You yeah. know, you think about a legendary yeah. coach like Bob Huggins to then Rick Pitino. So what is, I guess two things, and we love to talk about sustainable excellence, and obviously Huggins and Patino had that and do have that, or I guess Huggins still, and then uh, I don't know if Patino's still in Europe coaching, but either or, um, what, what makes each one, uh, you know, excellent at what they do, and what did you, you know, take from those mentors? Well, you know, I would give to attribute a lot of my success to being fortunate to work with those guys, and, and you know, so I've been to nine straight tournaments last year, would have been ten. Those guys, multiple. Coach Patino, by the way, is back at Iona College, uh, That's back right. in New York, where he's from. I would expect him to be there for a year, maybe two, before he's back at the big level. But, uh, you know, it, it, Coach Huggins win wherever he's been. I mean, it doesn't matter where. Those guys are winning wherever they've been. And the reason is uh, losing is not an option for them. So if you have to work all night and not sleep, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I just, you know, what I've learned over time is, you know, there's people that's like, well, they're going to work nine to five and the chips are going to fall where they may. They, they, they just don't look at it that way. <laughs> you know, for them, the chips are only going to fall one way. OK, and if they have to work 24 seven for 365 to make the chips fall the way they want them to fall and to have a successful team, that's what they're going to do. Um, you, you know, those guys don't punch clocks, you know, their clock runs 24 seven. Uh, and they don't, uh, interesting thing I would share with, you know, from a business side, they don't ever, those guys never talked about, uh, bonuses. They never talked about salaries. They never talked about perks of the job. Uh, all they ever talked about was what it took to be successful. And the coach Patino, uh, he, he, you know, he had more lines than Coach Huggins, and his line was money and opportunity are shadows of success, and they always will be. So just focus on success. You know, I spent a lot of time early with Coach Huggins, and it was invaluable to me because he would talk about, you know, different guys that are all worried about what car they're driving or, um, you know, their, their perks of the job and they're worried about all that stuff instead of getting some players and coaching them up and winning games. And so, uh, you know, I was trained to focus on things that matter. And, uh, you know, like I tell young guys now the line I started putting it all on, on when I've done some zoom clinics is you got to keep your eye on the ball, right. And whatever you're, you know, being successful and whatever it takes to be successful at what you're doing, uh, and because if you start taking your eye off the ball and you start worrying about things that don't impact uh, your success at whatever your job is, uh, and you're worried because all the perks and all, it'll all work itself out. And, you know, if you spend half your time worrying about things you can't control, the other half worrying about uh, what you wish would happen instead of doing your job, those guys were elite at that. You know, they never talked about that other stuff. And that's why they're, they've been so successful, in my opinion, other than obviously they're, they're talented. Right. 
Yeah. So, I mean, once again, hard work works, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, those guys are grinders, it sounds like, and then focus on success. And we talk about it a lot. One of your, uh, I guess, men- mentees here, Mr. Van Zyl, who's now on staff with us, he does a hell of a job of focusing on just having success into that, you know, to that aspect. So I know some of those knowledge nuggets, coach, you left is uh, working off for us over here. Uh, appreciate that. But, um, you know, I think so much just to go off of what coach Cronin said, you know, so many people are worried about those ancillary things. We see it every day in our business. And uh, that's really refreshing from a, even like you said, from once again, another business aspect, if you just win everything else, like you said, you, you weren't worried about being the PAC 12 coach of the year, which you were, congratulations. You were just worried about getting dubs and getting back to the tournament and making advancement. Right. And good things happen, right. You weren't trying to be the PAC 12 coach of the year, but it just happens when you win. Right. So. Yes. And you got to break, you know, and, and you don't even worry about winning because you realize what you got to worry about what you're going to have to do to win. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you know, if you know, well, so in bas- in a basketball sense, like if you can't stop the other team, you're not going to win. So, you, you know, right. my, you, you know, we couldn't stop the other team and we had a problem with, uh, with giving the ball to the other team without getting a shot off turnovers. Right. So, so you're focusing on the details that it's going to take the, and the things you're going to need to change. So you can have a chance to win. You still might not win. You had at least, you know, I had to teach my team on everything on the, what we need to do to give ourselves a chance to win. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's again, you're focusing on, you know, Nick Saban would say the process, not the result. Right. You know, and, right. and, and it's harder today. Uh, probably as time has gone on, you know, in athletics, it's it, it people, it's not for me, but I think people worry about, they call it the noise, uh, what other people say, what people are writing about you, 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 you know, and your players get distracted uh, with, there's so much outside noise at all times. Uh a lot of our job now with young people is to keep their eye on the ball <laughs> yeah, right. and, and, you know, n- not listen to the crowd, right. Or, or, you know, the internet and keep their eye on the ball and trying to train people to do that. You know, I think it is, it is really challenging this, you know, this day and age with the, you know, the society we live in with the social media. Yeah. How do you going back building culture? I think that's a big thing we saw, obviously when you took over UC, as some people would say, it was in shambles per se. And you were dealing with, I think, a, your top recruit was a guy that was Devontae Vaughn, or if I remember, if I, you know, I'm not a UC diehard, so correct me if I'm wrong here. That's all right. Um, becoming one, but uh, the uh, he was IUPUI, I believe. And then you had um, Connor Barwin, who was walking on. So you had, you were in the Big East. So you had, you started basically with at, at ground level and uh, a, you had to build build a team in that conference similar to UCLA, how do you come in and turn a program around so quickly? And I know you've mentioned discipline and attention to detail. Is there anything else you can mention to our listeners that are maybe trying to do that in their own world of trying to take a group and turn it around, whether it's whatever leader, what are some things that you do that you could share to, uh, to our audience? Yeah, I I think you got, you got to have non-negotiables. You know, I think you got to be willing to fail at first. and, and uh, you, whatever your non-negotiables are, I think that uh, you have to be even more convicted in your beliefs when they're being challenged. So I get the question a lot, like, what's the difference of being at UCLA? You know, bigger stage, LA, UCLA tradition. And my answer would be what helps me is probably my Irish stubbornness. 
because you you have to be even you're going to be challenged even more the noise is even louder uh you have to be even more convicted when in your beliefs of you know in basketball you know uh, uh, that we're going to play to win we're not going to play for individualism right um and but so whatever they are it, it, that you you think you have to have work ethic uh you know team mentality uh, whatever we need to do as a group to get our job done, uh, things that you know are going to tear that apart, you cannot overlook them. And if it, re- and I think the, it, because when you're trying to change things, that's when you have to totally be non-negotiable. And you know, we had some some times my first year at UCLA where you know I was close to calling Chip Kelly uh, because we were going to need some new players to finish out the year. <laughs> I was so frustrated. <laughs> You know, with, with, you know, with, with uh, what we were talking about wasn't translating into what we were doing on game night. Um, so I think that, that uh, and, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it, it can be seamless. Everybody jumps right on board. Other times it's not. And, uh, you know, whatever those, whatever those are, you don't need to me. Uh, that, that's the most important thing. Um, you know, less could be more basically mm-hmm. is what I'm saying to you, you, mm-hmm. you, you know, uh, and I think some, you know, my opinion would be some, you know, that I always tell coaches that, that uh, you know, the mistake I think is when you start the, the, today's players different, today's workers different, you have to change for them. I, you know, I don't believe in that, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, at leadership, you need to set the standard and kids will live up to the expectations that you set forth for them. And if you start to uh, allow slippage, uh, there is no stop to it, you know, especially in sports, because, you know, if I let if I let you shoot bad shots, uh, all your teammates are going to not say, well, coaches, you know, coach is full of it. You know, he said, that you, you know, and I'm letting you get away with stuff the other guy can't get away with. So there's days in practice where. Uh, you know, there's maybe a kid that I know he's a hustler and he's tough and the guys know I like him because he plays hard, but I'm just going to pick a day and just, and make sure I get all over him. So they know I get on him too, (laughs) because I think as a leader, you need to know your employees, your players, whatever, are always judging the way you deal with them and their teammates and their coworkers. So you have to make sure that everybody knows uh, they're being treated equal. So we had Tamika Williams on. She's a assistant coach at Ohio State, played at UConn. And one thing she said was all she said, um, hire personality and teach skill when it comes to recruiting. Kind of feeding off what Kyle said. And you mentioned, you know, some of the guys weren't getting it. And you may have to have to go to coach uh, Chip Kelly and get some of his guys. But when it comes to recruiting and really finding those guys, what's your philosophy for for going out now? You know, of course, now, as you mentioned, you, you know, your, your, your talent pool, your pool of players is a lot smaller now because you're going after the, those elite guys. So what's, what's your approach there when it comes to get, getting those guys? Be honest. You know, I think, uh, I, think uh, I don't look at myself as a recruiter. Um, we just tell the guys that we want, and we're going to tell them how it is at UCLA and what we're going to do. Uh, and it's not sales. It's not recruiting. I think when you get into that, and we did the same thing at Cincinnati, um, I have a very low eight mice. This will be my 18th year. I have, I have an unbelievably low uh, transfer rate. And what I would say is because we recruit guys that fit our 
style and our program. And we don't sugarcoat things. Uh, we don't make promises, false promises. Um, and that's why we've been, and, and our continuity has helped our success in the programs that I, I've been a part of uh, as an assistant, as a head coach. And we have that continuity because you're honest in the recruiting process. Uh, I think that's important. Uh, and what you may lose a few players over that, but I think, you, you know, you probably wanted to lose them. You know, they may have the talent, but they may not fit your program. Uh, and you probably end up with who you're who you're supposed to get uh, for the most part when when you're uh, when you're doing it the way we do it. You know, I call it front end recruiting. Some people, you know, they 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 back end recruit. They tell them the truth when they get there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then they then they don't like it and they transfer. So, you know, we try to front end recruit. Uh, it's not for everybody, uh, but I believe in it. Uh, I, I just. I always tell players, you know, I, I would want somebody that's going to be honest with me versus somebody that, that, and that that's going to just tell me what I want to hear. And like I said, it doesn't work for every situation, but uh, it's worked for us. Uh, and, you know, I, I think I, I always tell I'm a bad recruiter, you know, I'm because I don't I'm not a salesman. We just try to sell a coach and here's how we do things. And we try to have a real relationship, even if the guy goes to another school, to be honest with you. Sure, sure. Switching, switching uh, course a little bit, uh, I think work-life balance is a struggle for me and I think a lot of others. I know you had a, a health scare in, uh, here in Cincinnati a couple years back, and I know you're doing great now. I know I was kind of getting more involved uh, with UC basketball or Todd, my father-in-law, who's, who's, who was a big supporter, and watching and really understanding your body of work and how great the, the team was doing. And then all of a sudden, uh, you have that health scare. Can you go through someone, uh, and, and it was a, a aneurysm to my understanding, right, or something of that sort, a potential aneurysm, did I get that right? Maybe. Uh, uh, arterial dissection. Okay. Neither, yeah, one of us, neither, neither one of us know what the hell that is. Don't <laughs> <worry>. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, I think I was watching uh, that time, and I, I imagine, you know, as a, as a young leader of people myself here, I guess I'm getting older now, but. Um, Happy birthday. Yeah. Yeah. They're getting older. We don't celebrate. But anyway, the, uh, the, <laughs> gosh, I knew you were going to try to throw that out. Um, you know, can you talk about health and, uh, you know, work life balance? I know you with hugs and, in Patino, and I know yourself, I, I know the people that know you, how hard you work, what changed maybe from that moment to now, or has anything changed? And what would you recommend to someone that's struggling with that balance? Well, I think uh, you only live once. Um, and uh, there's a guy who used to work for Coach Huggins. And he used to always say to me, the one year that I was with him, Frank Jesse, guy's great personality. Um, but uh, Jess used to always say, you know, he said, look, man, I know what you're trying to do with your career. And I was there, you know, I was literally in the office around the clock my first year as a young guy at Cincinnati. Literally the, the night uh, cleaning crew ladies used to bring me food because uh, they knew I'd be there at 1130. And uh, it, Jess said to me, you know, you'll, you'll never meet a man on his deathbed that says, God, you know, damn, I wish I'd have spent more time at the office. <laughs> like you'll never you know nobody's ever going to say that on their deathbed but uh and i've tried to always think about you, you know so when you have time you know when you have time uh you got to make the most of it um so you know the health scare was what it was but my life changed in 2006 when my daughter was born 
Uh, that's when I gain perspective. You know, most guys, I think a lot of guys tell you that. Now, when you have a child, you told, you're, you know, at least for me, you know, uh, everything changed, right? I mean, you know, all I cared about, did we win or lose, <laughs> right? That, right? You know, I mean, that my whole life happiness is based on our season, our success, you, you know, um, and my health wasn't a, a factor. But when she, when, when she was born, uh, it, her happiness came before mine. And it's still that way. Um, you know, she asked me at 11 o'clock to go get a damn Slurpee at 7-Eleven and I do it. You know, um, <laughs> you know, I can't say I got, you know, I still can't. She's 14. I can't say no. But uh, that's what changed it for me. Uh, and re- from it, so when the health scare happened for me, uh, and they asked me to shut it down and just run the program from behind the scenes and, uh, and, and let that thing heal. Uh, all out, you know, that like people, they they had assembled a group of people to talk me into it, but uh, I, they didn't have to because all my mind was on. I need to stay alive for her. You know, she, right. needs, to have, she needs to have her dad. If she without her, I'd have probably argued it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not, again, not thinking about my health. I'd have been thinking about the team needs me, you right. know. So for me, for me, she changed it all. Uh, but, I, you know, uh, I think. Uh, it's, it's a struggle for a lot of people that are type A, that are driven uh, to try to have the balance. And I'm talking about health now, not just spending time with your family, but just, you know, people that are really workaholic types. To, and it's a it's a daily fight for me. Uh, quarantine helped me because I had nothing to do with work out all the time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so that, that helped me because, uh, you know, I got here and I was running, you know, 100 miles an hour trying to you know, do everything and, you know, in the first six months and ran myself into the ground. But, uh, it's, it, you know, I, I think that you got to try to be mature, uh, and take care of yourself. And it's a big problem in my business for the sure. guys that have, you know, whether it's a college football coach, college basketball coach, you know, there's a lot of guys that have had a lot of problems with it because our jobs are so demanding. Uh, you know, part of my move here was, you know, I'll be, I'll be healthier. Everybody in California eats better. <laughs> Right. It's sunny. It's sunny all the time. You know, I've met more people over 90 here in the last year. I never met anybody over 90 in Cincinnati. <laughs> hey, have you found here's the real question. It's actually one of our hot topic questions. Maybe we can start getting into that. But have, you, have you found, uh, you know, supposedly you don't like white bread, but have you found like the Cincy Deli? I guess it's uh, turkey, cheese, lettuce, and it that can't be the, white. Oh, yeah. Can't be white bread. Yeah. That's yeah, well, it's a little bit. It's a belt. Yeah. The, the Bel Air. Uh, restaurant uh, has a has a, a shack behind for their to go. They got the best turkey sandwich in LA. It's not even close. Um, You're you right. Know, it's right off right off Sepulveda. You know. I knew you would find somewhere. Yeah, man. <laughs> he, he, he knew. He knew it. Yep. The snack shack, the Bel Air restaurant, bang in and out. You know, a uh, little bit better quality than the old Cincy Deli there, uh, Nick. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he definitely <laughs> threw that one there. This one's uh, from Bill Hamilton. What are two or three uh, go-to songs for TikTok videos? What do you got? Oh man, I, that's uh, Bill struggling. Man, he's trying to be creative when he's not there. Uh, he, 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 you know, <laughs> you like that? Uh, yeah, my daughter would pick those, not me. Bill, come on, let me. What the hell? I mean, if I'm if I'm made to do a TikTok. My daughter's making me do it. So, you know, I don't even know what the hell song it is. 
That's great. That's great. Uh, let's see here. Um, I guess this one's more for Calvin. If you want to do the, the girl dad. Yes. And you've already, you kind of talked about it. Um, one thing I read in an ESPN article was, you know, that your ex-wife had moved across the country um, to, yeah. to be there with your, um, because you, you, you two basically vowed that you're always going to have two parents in her life. And I guess it's not really a question, but kind of just touch on the importance you believe in having both parents um, there for your daughter. And, you know, obviously being quote unquote, a hashtag girl, dad, I have a daughter as well. And I, it's, it's the most amazing thing ever. So. Yeah. You know, I think that, that to me, that's easy, right. You know, uh, you know, my love for her since the day she was born is the best thing I've ever experienced, but now I'm just trying to get her damn talk to me when she's 14 and put the phone down. <laughs> Um, that's why I take her to get a Slurpee at 11. I figure, well, she'll at least talk to me when I drive her up there. But, um, you know, when we used to be attached at the hip, Calvin, you, you know, it was like, my, is she ever, I, she goes to bed. So I got to watch some film because <laughs> I got to right. watch all her shows from the time I get home until she goes to bed. So, but anyway, um, you know, the more important part of that, I would say is divorced parents, you know, unmarried parents, however you want to say it. Uh, I think that uh, it's imperative to be mature enough to to uh, work together to raise your children, because, you know, that almost half or more than half of children in our country are raised uh, in non-traditional homes. And uh, for the parents to put aside differences, which I know is uh, it's easier for me uh, because my situation with Darlene, my ex-wife, she's awesome. She's a great person. Uh she sets a great example for my, my, my daughter. Uh, obviously, she was willing uh, to move here with us and live, you know, she still lives close by uh, and we co-parent. I know that's a little bit extreme. Very few people would move with their ex, you know, their, their ex-spouse <laughs> across the country. But, uh, you know, I think it's just it, it, the, the children are affected. Uh, and, you know, I, it, being in coaching and Co my whole life, 30 years now of coaching children that had other parents and seeing the effects of, of that, of parents maybe that didn't get along, absent parents, you know, what have you, uh, and the effects of that on the kids that I've coached. And it's real. It's extremely real. So, uh, you know, my plea to everybody out there is, uh, is the, you got, you, you got to realize the effects of your children could be life last, you know, life, life lasting negative effects mm -hmm. and to do whatever you can, you know, uh, to do whatever you can, uh, for the men out there that are paying child support, don't have the resent. Don't, don't be resentful. Uh, as hard as it is, man, I know they're trying to say, Hey man, you make shut up. You're, you're a rich guy. You know, it's easy for you to write the check. I get it. I get it, but uh, whatever you can to put your kids first, man. That, that's how I look at it. Sure, oh, sure. I have a my old teammate. I played uh, ball at Miami, Ohio. Sean McVay was my. Uh, I was with him for five years. He's out in your neck of the woods. I want to know who would win in a wrestling match, Mick Cronin or Sean McVay? Oh, Sean McVay's younger than me. <laughs> Let me tell you how bad it starts to get, man. So I turned forty nine this summer. I've got. Got the whole garage decked out, new weight room. I got the rubber floor, the new dumbbell set. I overpaid for the elliptical. Uh, it took about five weeks of lifting five times a week for the shoulder to tear for the third time. <laughs> you know, which we can't fix till after the season. Back to you know, I got to put I put myself on the 
on the shelf because, you know, I don't have time to deal with rehab right now. Right. I got to get my team ready. Um, that so, yeah, I got no chance, man. It starts to tear apart at a certain point. Do you know, he looks, I, I, he's still a young guy, man. Yeah. Like you, yeah. You, you know, he, I, I, I'm going to say I'm maybe 10 years older than him. But you're, you're, uh, I mean, I was with him for a long time. You're tougher than him though. I think, I think, I think the, the, the Irishness, I mean, Sean, Sean's in good shape, but I, I think you're a lot tougher. So I don't know. It's, you're not giving yourself enough credit there. I, I don't know what the Vegas would say, but I would say uh, you're not well, as long shot as what you think. Coach, you grew up on the West side of Cincinnati. <laughs> I always tell my players, man, I was like Randall Tex Cobb. So you guys are young. You don't know who that is. You know, I he, know was Randall a punching, Cobb. he was a punching bag, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, let's just say I had a losing record like Randall Tex Cobb, but I never got knocked out. <laughs> there you go. There you go. What, one or two others here. So uh, we, we were on a road trip here and uh, we went to a game in Wichita State. I don't know if you remember this. In 2019, I was part of a group. Oh, you want me to tell you the story? Or you, <laughs> you tell it because I've heard it from him. We, we wanted you to rate our performance that game, not your team's performance, but how were the fans that game? Uh, you couldn't hear anything because it was their biggest home game in the history of the school. And they played, they played like race car music in the background. Uh, um, and literally people would say, you know, if you watch the game and remember the game, they're pretty try to say, why are they running the same play every time? So we had to literally have two hand signals, two calls. Uh, and so we were organized and keep it simple because nobody you could not hear in the timeout huddle four feet in front of me they had no chance to hear me uh, calling plays during that game so that's how crazy it was so I could not hear what the you know what the few guys that had maybe had a drink or two on the way to the game were saying behind me but but to speed it up we win I'm doing the CBS on court interview after the game I do it. I do it. I think it was Steve Lapis. We do the interview. I got the police officer with me. Uh, we turn around and I see commotion and over behind our bench. But my 70 something year old dad is over there. Tell him, coach. And I'm thinking, oh, no, you, you, you know, because again, you know, he is from Coryville. So it's a whole nother D and he's not taking anything from anybody. Like he still thinks he's 28. Right. And I'm thinking, Oh no, he got into it with somebody over there. So I go to take off running. And now I got the police officer saying, coach, no, he thinks I'm going to go get in a fight with you guys. I'm like, I got to find my dad. I got to find my dad. I'm worried you guys are going to get my D. You know, he's going to jump in with you guys. If it would have, uh, so fortunately, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, some people might have been escorted out in your party, but uh, my dad didn't, get, you know, he, he didn't have to get into a fist fight in the 70s. So that was that was yeah. a good that was a good thing that came from that. Yeah, that, that was a Love very it. well said there, coach. I'm so very, glad to hear your yeah. version. I've heard their version 10 times and yours is 10 times better. Yeah, so. yeah he, <laughs> he just did a hell of a job there. But uh, I got one more. I got one more. Last one. Yes, sir. So, uh, and I don't make, I got to make sure I word this right. So before I ask you this question, uh, well, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask you. Who is one guest you think we should have here on the Underdog Podcast? But before you answer it, the, the deal is you have to be able to make that connection for us, or at least 
help make that connection for us? Uh, well, which one you want, Bob Huggins or Rick Pitino? But see, Bob Huggins don't like Todd, according to Todd. <laughs> so let's go, Rick. <laughs> you know, yeah. which goes back to a neighborhood thing that we probably can't talk about on the show, right? Yeah, I've heard that so, story. Yes. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. So we'll go. I guess we'll choose Patino. <laughs> so we got to go with Coach Patino. Uh, so uh, you, you, you know, we'll, we'll probably have to go that route, I guess. All right. Well, that's awesome. We'll follow up. Yeah, we appreciate it, and uh, we thank you. Thanks for everything you've done for the city of Cincinnati. Uh, we're big fans, obviously, and what you've done uh, for someone that's so important to me. I look up to Todd like my father. He's basically has been that for me. And I know your guys' relationship and all the different things you've done with us. I uh, can't thank you enough for everything you've done. And I'll, I'll end with this too, coach. So uh, I saw that you had a conversation with uh, Jeff Van Gundy um, recently. And I know obviously leaving Cincinnati, a lot of people always thought you were going to be here and potentially have your name on the court one day. Um, and you said, you know, that's not really what we're in it for, but you know, he said to you, um, legacy is the most overrated thing in life and in coaching. He said, what he was trying to say to me was happiness is what matters. Chasing your dreams is what matters and your family is what matters. So I just wanted to say that to, you know, congratulations again on, on the, on the job out there and good luck for, for all the years to come. And obviously this upcoming season, man, and thank you for what you did here in Cincinnati. Even though I'm a Red Hawk, thank you for what you did uh, for the Bearcats and for the city of Cincinnati, man. Oh, I appreciate it, guys. I miss, you know, I miss Montgomery in, uh, although I can have that shipped in. Uh, you know, Frisch is, you know, we got Bob's big boy. The sauce Thanks. is different. It's not it the same. Yeah, not the yeah, same. You know, sure. I, you know, you're, not, yeah, you're, you're really not craving like, that Cincy Deli, I'll send you a sandwich. No. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not craving the Cincy Deli. Uh, I'm not craving the Cincy Deli. Uh, you know, there's there's a few things. You know, I miss my, my patio at Salem Gardens out, you know, out on the east side by my old house, my buddy Mike Larkin and, and my golfing buddies. But, uh, you know, it's it's great to see you guys. You know, I see you, you got the windows so I can see, you know, the streets in the background. And, uh, you know, you, you, you always miss home, uh, but you miss your friends and the people, right? Not the place as much uh, for me. That's the thing I miss the most. But uh, that's why COVID has been bad, right? Because no people were visiting me all the time. And now, you know, now, now it's tough. No, you know, people aren't visiting. So, uh, yeah. you, you know, I do want to say, uh, you know, again, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, you shouldn't look up to me, uh, although I would not punch you. Um, you know like like you know somebody else might you know do that to snap you out of a stupor i would never do that as a mentor so uh, i wanted to make sure i threw that in on today's podcast he he knows too many stories wow okay all right that's good that's a mic drop we've had 60 episodes that might be the best ending we've ever had it has to be so no good stuff wow all right there's no other better way well we appreciate it coach enjoy the good weather out there and uh all right guys hopefully we'll see you soon thanks guys thanks thanks for having me all right thank you man appreciate it guys all right we'll see you